Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery with your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Hey, welcome everybody to the Julie Sav Show. And tonight I'm joined by um, Byron Lacey, who is described as a civil servant, a musician, an artist, a poet, and an author of a book called Chosen Chronicles of an Alien Abductee. Now, this is a subject that's fascinated me for a very long time. I've never had the um, opportunity to speak to somebody as informed as Byron, who has experienced abduction himself. So welcome, Byron, to the show. Hi, how are you doing tonight? I'm I'm good. I'm really good. It is half past ten here in the UK, and as our um, listeners will know, we pre-record the show and and get it out. So um, the time the time difference is very noticeable from here to to yourselves. So have you had a good week? Yes, I had a very good week. What's the best thing that's happened to you this week, Byron? Well, this week I had an interview on Friday night which worked out very good. It was very high energy. Saturday morning, I woke up and found a bruise on the top of my knee, above my knee, which showed me that I'd been visited. It was a right. round bruise because um, I hadn't bumped into anything, especially there. It would have been right on my kneecap. So other than that, talking to people on Facebook and things of that nature. That's pretty much what my week has been so far. Fantastic. So just socializing with people, you know, touching base with people, and then obviously that visitation at the weekend. So yes, I in talk, order... go on, sorry. I talk with a lot of uh, 
new abductees or that have just discovered they're abducted and I try and help them cope with it and not be afraid. Okay, so um, I, I'd really like, I'm really interested in that. So it'd be really good to come back to that. And of course, you've already mentioned being um, having a visitation over the previous weekend. So um, just for the purposes of our listeners, you have had extreme experiences in terms of alien abduction. So talk us through your earliest recollection, Byron, of um, any, I suppose, understanding or knowledge of in inverted commas, aliens. My first experience happened in 1955, and I was five years old. It played out over a period of three nights, as far as my, as I was allowed to remember. The the first night, uh, my mom took me to the bedroom, put me in bed, turned out the light, and locked out the door, and the door was still slightly open. There was a light from the hallway coming in. I turn around to lay down, and there are three little guys, about four foot tall, standing near the foot of my bed on the side. And uh, I didn't know what they were. I didn't know how they got in my room. And I yelled for Mama, and she came in, and they were gone. They were gone the minute she touched the door when she walked in. What so, do they look like, Byron? What do they look? You said little guys. What do they look like? Well, they had large heads and big black eyes and basically I could see them from the neck up and uh, one of them was really strange and his features kept changing and part of the time he looked like a rag doll then part of the time he looked like the others so I now I think they were messing with my mind a little bit but um, the next night the same thing happened and then the night after that the same thing happened but mom sat down on the bed, and she put her hand on my head, and she said, son, you're just going to have to deal with them alone, because they're not going to be here when I come in the room, so don't call me anymore. Wow. So I didn't. She so left you, the room. Do you think that was about a mother saying, look, come on, and the night terrors and things, and she didn't really understand, or do you think that was a knowing, and she knew what was going well, on? Now I think she knew what was going on, and there were there were a lot of other things as time went by that um, there were things my parents did that made no sense at the time, but now they make sense. Anyway, right. she walked out of the room, and they were back, and there was also this tall guy who was about seven feet tall, and I could not see his face, but he he looked a lot like the pirate, Captain Hook, from the 1953 movie by Disney, Peter Pan. Right. And he, he danced around the room, and at one point it seemed that the room was a lot bigger than it usually was, and my bed somehow was slowly going around in a circle as he was dancing around the room. And he had a, a big wide hat and a vest a puffy shirt, and he danced really strangely, he, a lot of right angles in the way his limbs and things moved. Then all of a sudden, I, I felt like I was tied down. And I do remember I looked at my hands, and I wasn't tied, but I couldn't move. Then all of a sudden, I could move, and they were all gone. And uh, I put 
my head under the blankets and went to sleep. And I slept like that for years because I didn't know what they were. I couldn't call my parents. And I just didn't want to see them anymore because they were so confusing. They weren't mean or anything like that that I know of, but it was really a confusing situation. How did you, how did you cope with it? How do you think that impacted upon your early years? I think uh, I really don't know. I've uh, I've tried to imagine that. It seems like I just took it in stride and went on and didn't worry about it and not talking about it. I do know I've always had this memory, but it it became separated from my life story, and it was just sort of a, a weird myth that I had in my head. So, and then in, um, in 2009 is when I discovered what was going on. I had many strange, I'm sorry, I had many strange things that happened over my life, and I've told friends about them, and they thought that God was looking after me, uh, guardian angels were looking after me, or spirit guides were looking after me, and mm. I started studying metaphysics, and, well, I thought that these weird things were spirit guides and guardian angels. In 2009, right. I found out I was wrong. How did you know? Well, in in 2009, I'd been back here in Nacogdoches for about a year, well, two years actually, and I had a friend who was a, uh, really interested in UFOs and stuff, and I really didn't pay much attention to any of it. I figured there were UFOs, in fact, I knew I had seen a couple, but... Um, I just didn't think about aliens. I actually had a, even though I was a big science fiction buff, I had an aversion to to worrying about aliens for some reason. Hmm. So in 2009, I was in town and had dinner. I was driving home. It was during the summer and it was still light. And I stopped at a um, stop a stoplight. I stopped at a stoplight in front of one of. Walmart here in Nacogdoches on the biggest highway that goes through this town. And I was sitting there looking at the lot waiting for it to change on this four-lane highway when a Stargate, like in the movie Stargate with Kurt Russell, except yep. no frame around it, started, it was the size of a dinner plate and it appeared at the end of the stoplight about a foot from it and it expanded into six feet across. And it was like whirling water or energy or plasma. I didn't know what it was. Uh, The first thing I did was I looked around at the other cars because there were cars all around me. And nobody was paying any attention. They were just going on with their lives. Then I closed my eyes and it disappeared. I opened my eyes and it was there. What I mean disappeared, I mean, I didn't see it when I closed my eyes. Yeah. So I moved my head and it stayed exactly where it was. What I was trying to do was establish was if it was in my head or not. Well, at that point, it exploded without any sound, but it exploded outward, and all these droplets of this substance, probably plasma, headed towards the ground, but about three foot from the ground, they just disappeared, and it was all gone. The light changed, and everybody moved on. 
I told my friend about this situation, and he didn't say anything. And that sort of bothered me, because he usually <laughs> had a comment about everything. But since he didn't say anything at all, I thought I began to doubt my sanity just a little bit for a day. Then a week later, on the exact same day, probably not exactly at that time, but close, because I had finished eating dinner in town, I found myself stopped at that same stoplight, and the exact same thing happened. The, the portal appeared. It got bigger. Nobody noticed it. Uh, I did all the tests with my eyes once again. Sure enough, it seemed to be an object external from me. And, and it exploded again. And then the light changed and everybody drove on. The next day, I went to his house and told him about it. And he was sitting there like he was thinking. And I said, well, uh, what do you think, what do you think this is? And he said, well, I'll tell you what I think. I think you're an alien abductee. And I told him he was crazy. Mm. He turned around to his computer and he wrote down three websites, two or three websites. He gave me the paper, and he said, you need to look at these when you get home. I said, okay. So I went home. I folded up the piece of paper and tossed it on the desk next to my computer, and I went and watched TV. About a day later, I went to see him. We'd, we'd walk for our health. We'd walk three miles a day. And he asked me if I'd looked at any of the websites, and I said, no. I've been busy. He said, well, you really need to look at them. And I said, oh, I will when I get time. That went on for a couple of different days. And then I finally sat down at the computer and opened up one of the websites because I knew he wasn't going to leave me alone. Mm. And I was beginning to be curious. And sure enough, there was like 50 questions about whether to determine if you might be abducted. And 95% of them I answered yes. Then I looked at another website. I looked at things about PTSD. Uh, by the time I got through looking around for about an hour, I came to the conclusion that I probably was an alien abductee. But that was my first, um, that was the first time that that thought ever crossed my mind. There are some other things that happened shortly after that. That's an amazing start to life, isn't it? Yes. And one of the things that I've I've read about abductees is they have commonalities in, in that obviously they're human um, and either their mother, father or both were abductees. There seems to be a pattern of family traits. Is that why you said that you feel that your mum probably knew? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One reason is, after I found out in 2009 and some other things happened, I went to a Dreamland Festival by Whitley Strieber and met a, a medium there named Marla Fries, who was the uh, technical advisor for the TV show medium. And she, she told me how my father had died. She told me... A lot of things that there was no way for her to know. Yeah. And so I said, does he know if, does he know about the aliens? And she 
asked him mentally, and she said back, and she said, he says, I know everything. And when she said that, I knew for sure that she was in contact with my father. So anyway, he told her that we had been abducted for, that I was the fourth generation. My great-grandfather who came from Ireland in the 1800s and to Uh Texas in 1850, and then his son, and his son, and my father and me. That's five. I got it wrong. Great grandfather, my grandfather, my father, and me, the four of us. That's that's now, a huge history. Yes. And uh but there were two events well, let's just say there's one key event that made me know that can uh, there was something that happened when I was around 11 years old that confused me. And later I figured out what was going on. Actually, it was nine years old. I was, I was getting ready to go to bed, but, okay, wait a second. The song, does your chewing gum lose its flavor on the bedpost overnight had become one of the top hits in America at that time. So that's the date that this particular event happened, even though I don't have it on the top of my mind right now. And I like that song, but one night I went to bed and it started playing in my head and it would not stop. And I had never had anything like that before. So the next morning, I told my mom I hadn't slept at all, and I needed to, I couldn't go to school. She seemed very disturbed. She took me in and put me on the sofa, gave me a soft drink, and said to watch TV and do not go to sleep. I want you to sleep tonight. And then she left and went into the dining room, and I couldn't hear what she was saying because of the TV, but I could see that she made a phone call. Five o'clock that evening when my dad got home, I was still sitting, I was still laying on the sofa watching TV, and he walks Mm -hmm. in, he just walks right by me, gets my mother and takes her into the dining room, they have some kind of conversation. Then they walk, he walks back into the living room and she stays in the dining room. He walks in and he sits down on the sofa beside me, he said, son, if you don't straighten up, we're going to have to take you to a psychiatrist. Hmm. I'm going, wow. And in, I didn't say that loud, but in my mind, during this whole thing, it occurred to me that I could not confide anything that happened to me ever again to my parents because, in a sense, they were a threat to me. And in, in that time, it was a very bad thing to have to go to a psychiatrist. It was a very yeah. bad thing to get a divorce. You know, it was a totally different time. Yeah. Then he told me. Then he told me that a long time ago, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, one of my relatives, a female, had told people that she talked to little men in her room. That they appeared out of nowhere, and she talked to them. And they ended up putting her in an insane asylum where she eventually died. And he said, you don't want that happening to you. 
And what was so confusing about it was I wasn't even thinking of the little guys from when I was five years old. And I didn't think about them. I never put those two things together. He gave me that same talk about the relative several different times because I wanted to be a writer, I wanted to be an artist, things like that. He said, you don't want people to know who you are. You don't want to be famous. Mm-hmm. And and then he would tell me that story about her again, and he'd say, we don't talk about ourselves. I didn't even know. I don't even know anything about my parents except what happened when I was with them. So that was all confusing to me. Yeah. And in 2009, when I started looking over everything that had happened to me, those two incidences, the three incidences, started really crystallizing, and I knew what was going on then. They knew about the aliens. They had been abducted. Yeah. They didn't want me to talk about them. Here I am. That's not, I mean, it's just a massive thing for you to have to go through and not be able to speak to anybody. And if you do, you have that risk that somebody's going to, you know, take you to a psychiatrist and have all that stigma, etc. And especially as you're saying, in, in that time, it was a completely different um, situation than it is now. That's much more of an acceptable thing to do to go and get support and help for for you know whatever is needed. So, so over the years. Has the abductions become more common? Do you remember anything about them? Well, okay, first off, I will just say I remember three events distinctly. They did not make me forget them. I saw them, 1955 being the first one, 2009 another one, and then 2015, right. uh, my favorite. But anyway... Um, I had weird things happen to me. Like I've had had my life saved eight times by strange occurrences, such as when I was in Henderson County Junior College, when I was 20 years old, I was in the band, and we were in a pep rally, and the pep rally was almost over, and it was for homecoming. We had a mm-hmm. cannon that we always sat off, you know, fired at the end of the pep rally. So everybody's standing around talking, and I'm talking to this guy that I hardly know, and my back is to the cannon. And a complete stranger that I had never seen before, ever, taps me on the shoulder, and I turn and face him, which puts the guy I was talking to to my right and slightly behind me. And I'm looking at this guy, and I go, in my mind, I'm going, I don't even know who you are. Why are you talking to me? So I'm going to brush you off really quick and talk to this person. I know. While I'm thinking those things, the cannon explodes, and I see out of the corner of my eye that the guy I was just talking to crumples to the ground. And then there's a huge crowd of people all around him, and I notice there's dust coming out of some of the buildings. Hmm. And I turned back to look at that guy, and he's gone, and I never saw him again. They had The guys working the cannon had put a double load of powder in it because it was homecoming, and they had put a double wadding in it, and the back of the cannon had blown up, and it had sent shrapnel into two of the buildings, knocking bricks out of them, 
and one piece had gone into the pelvis, the pelvic area of the guy I had been talking to. And if if that other stranger had not tapped on my shoulder, I would have caught that piece of shrapnel at the base of my spine and been paralyzed at the least or dead. So whoever he was, he saved my life. And the man, the, the boy got hit, he was in the hospital for eight months mm. because it did so much damage inside of him. You can imagine a baseball-sized, sharp piece yeah. of iron going into your body, and it was jagged and everything. So that's just one instance where they everybody said it was a spirit guide or God, you know, those things. And I thought maybe, too, although I wondered why God would be wasting his time with me. And kill the other guy, or hurt the other guy instead. But I would, I tell people these things, and I had no um, explanation for why that happened. In 2009, I sort of quit telling anybody anything because I knew where they were from. Yeah. So those experiences, you know, the experiences you're describing are, are, are good and bad. There's been a protective factor as well as, I suppose, quite an intrusive factor. So tell us about some of the the, the not-so-positive um, aspects. Well, basically, the... What when, happens when, when you're abducted? Well, the three times that I've been abducted now, I've seen them. It has been a positive thing, in a sense. Now, the, the thing that causes me the most trouble and has all my life, but I haven't known it, I believe I'm abducted by or visited by one group and then abducted by another, and they take, they harvest neurotransmitters out of my brain. Right. And I will sometimes find a bump on the top or the side of my head, and it will have a needle hole in it. And I can remember finding these little scabs in my head as a child, wondering where they were from and how I had a hole in my head. And it, it Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. 
To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It will make me feel really horrible. Like It's like a super hangover. And uh, even the cat wanting to be petted is stressful. And I, my first inclination is just to stay in bed. One day, I had given up drinking diet soft drinks. And this thing had happened, and I didn't know what it was. You know, I didn't know it was them doing this. I just felt terrible, and I thought, well, I'm just going to drink a soft drink. Maybe that'll make me feel better. And it did, which was strange. So I went and looked up the substances in colas, and the only thing in them that would have any kind of um, psychoactive properties was phosphoric acid because it affects, it causes your choline levels to balance out. And, of course, we have a lot of choline in our brains. Yeah. Well, they almost used phosphoric acid as an antidote for nerve gas in World War One and World War Two, but they they didn't. They found something else. So I, I went and bought a bottle of choline, and the next time this thing happened, I took choline and felt a lot better. Then I met a man on Facebook who he calls himself Mark Scratch, and he has posters of marks and scratches and things, and he specifically one day put one up talking about neurotransmitters, and they take several different neurotransmitters from us, the ones that do this. So I went and got amino acids that replace all of those, and the next time it happened, I took all of those, about 1,000 milligrams of L-phenylalanine, um, tyrosine, different things that replace neurotransmitters, and felt much better, even better than with the choline, which I took along with it. So I've gotten where I can manage that situation pretty good, but it feels like depression. Mm. The, the first, I failed to mention this, one day... When it happened, I felt so depressed that it, it's an odd depression. And I decided, I've been thinking, any, anytime humans, anytime we feel depressed or anything, we try to run from it. We try to get rid of it as fast as we can. Some people turn to drugs. There are, you know, all kinds of things you can do. I'll go to the doctor. Well, I laid down and I just surrendered to it. And it sort of opened up and I could tell it wasn't depression. It was something missing from my brain. But how do you that how do you know that? How do you know that though? Because I mean, I'm listening to you now, and um, and your story is absolutely fascinating. The journey you've been on. But how do you how do you identify that neurotransmitters are being taken from your brain, and you need to take a substance to put them back? I mean, some people who are critical would just say, "Well, actually, you you know, you're just." There's something you're you're feeling depressed, and you're just finding you're just wanting to find that pleasure fix. So you're taking something to replace that. 
Does that make sense? I don't mean it disrespectfully, but that would be... I understand what you're saying, except every time it happens, there's a needle puncture in my head, and usually a bump, if they have to drive it in hard, I would imagine. Then there's the information I got from Mark Scratch about the same thing. Then there's the fact that those chemicals, those amino acids, they replace those neurotransmitters, and when I take them, I feel better. Now, I've tried to use those when I had depression after my father died. They didn't work at all, and I wasn't—I didn't even know about the neurotransmitters being robbed at that time. I just knew that sometimes they will elevate your mood, but they didn't help with that kind of a thing at all. And I—I I th- I think I'm going to fully respect that, and I think that if you're if you were to be critical of what you're saying and you'd want to challenge it, you would say, well, actually, um, you know, that pleasure center, that adrenaline, for example, um, that people experience when people want to enhance it or when they're feeling quite flat, they'll do something to ensure that chemical is then released into the brain to feel that way again. So then they may take um, a drug, for example. And, it, you know, so that could, you know, has that been... Have you ever had that medically checked, I guess, is what I'm asking? I've uh, taken antidepressants a couple of different times. Okay. Once when my father died, once when I had a nervous breakdown when I was in uh, college. Okay, so, so what you're, you're saying is that, you know, you, you've experienced those things, so you know the difference. Yes. And this isn't this isn't the same. It feels like depression, but when you relax and analyze it, it's more like a strain inside the mechanism of the brain mm. trying to work, but something missing so it can't do its job. So people, when they're abducted, um, how how do you know you've been? You mentioned a bruise that you saw on your just above your knee um, at the weekend. How do you generally know that you've been apart from this? Um, bump on your head, which you you know, you, and and feeling of depression. Is there anything else that you would that would identify to you that you'd had a visitation? Well, there've been several different events because I've asked them to abduct me. One day, I spent a lot of time telling me the next time you abduct me, I want to know, and, and I said that to them all day or thought it to them, hmm. and. Uh, in the middle of the night, it was about 3.30 in the morning, I woke up, and I looked up, I looked up, and now I should have been laying on my back. I looked up, because the light of the stereo, I have a little stereo that has a light that stays on all the time, even when it's off, a little red light. It was in the wrong place. It should have been above me, and it was below me. Then I realized I was on my hands and knees, crawling into the bed. Now, and waking up was not like normally waking up. It was it was like a fade from black in a movie. Just, I, I had no sense of waking up. I was already wide awake. My body was already warm. I lost my balance and fell over. And I noticed, I always sleep with a pillow over my head. I noticed that my pillows were there in place with the top one raised up like somebody had been under it and that somebody was me. How, then, do, you, how of course, would I know? 
How would I know if somebody, a friend, how would I know if somebody that I, I was close to had been abducted? What would I be looking for? Well, there's telltale marks that they leave. One is a, a round uh, bruise about the size of a quarter right. in American money. And then they leave punctures, and they would usually leave a small trail of punctures, about three to five of them in a row. And I've actually had 21 of them in three rows of seven on my wrist one time. I've had the others three and five. They'll leave those. Another thing is you might wake up and your your partner may not be in the bed, and they may not be in the house. And then you might turn around, and suddenly they will be in the bed. And you won't know how they got out and how they got in. And nobody has ever been around that was awake that knew I was taken. But that that does happen to some people. I had a friend that woke up and discovered that he was in the backyard. And he was holding uh he was laying on the ground in the backyard. Now, the door was unlocked because he didn't lock the doors, but he didn't know how he got there. How very scary for him. <laughs> yes. He was con- it was more confusing. Um, but once you realize oh. it's something you don't have a control over, that must be in- incredibly scary because you don't know what's going to happen next. Yes. And that's what, that was what really hit me when I first discovered what was going on in 2009. And I have this electric line that runs through my property, which is mostly woods. And I'll pace back and forth telling them I wanted to know what they were doing to me. I wanted to know what they were doing. And I did that for five days. And I was very manic about it and did it five to eight hours a day because I didn't have any place I had to go, and I was really confused. I kept going, am I crazy? Are y'all doing something to me? I finally refined the sentence for the last two or three days to, I want to know what you're doing to me. Then I went to play guitar at this little restaurant. had about 15 people in it where I played on a, I don't remember the night, Friday or Saturday. And it was horrible. I started forgetting the words. I had to make them up. I made up more of the words to the songs than I sang that were the actual words. And at that point, a friend came up. Oh, a man I had not met, but he became a good friend of mine. He came up. He was a guitar player. He took the guitar and told me to get my words out of my guitar case, sing from them. He played for me, and I sang, and it turned out pretty good. The last song I sang was Mr. Spaceman by the birds. Wow. And uh, my friend that had told me I was abducted was there. Later he said he thought that was sort of ironic that I sang that song because I went home, it got to be about midnight, and I could not go to sleep. My mind was just wide awake. So I decided to meditate. I got in bed and I used a CD that entrains the brain to a meditative state. And then all of a sudden I wasn't in my bed. I was in a hammock. And the hammock was hooked from side to side instead of end to end. 
and it looked like it was, I couldn't tell what it was made out of. It almost looked like parchment or leather, but when I inspected it, I was pretty sure it was not a biological material. And there mm-hmm. were three blankets in the bottom of it in various states of disrepair. One of them looked a lot like a child's blanket and had a pattern on it, but I don't remember at, that, at the moment what that was. So, anyway, I, I crawled out of the out of the hammock into this dimly lit room, and I looked around. I could not tell where the light was coming from, and then I thought, I, I'm in a spaceship. I knew I was in a spaceship. And there were two other hammocks of the same nature hung in different parts of the room. I could not see any corners of the room, but I could not see that they were round. And then I, I touched my face, because everything looked foggy, and I reached up and touched my face, and I realized that I did not have my glasses on, which is the way I went to bed, without my glasses. And in dreams, I always have my glasses on. Right. So I heard some footsteps coming down whatever was on the other side of that door, and I just went, I, I don't know if I'm in the mood to meet aliens tonight. And I started trying to crawl back in the hammock. Yeah. Then there was a black space, and then I was laying on a metal table, and there were three little grays. Then I knew what I had seen as a child, standing down at the end of the table. And in the background, to my sh- about even with my shoulder over to the side, but just distant where I could not see him clearly, was the weirdest thing I'd ever seen in my life, which looked a lot like a giant praying mantis wearing a robe. Now, I had never heard of the mantis creatures. The only thing I knew about were the greys because I had been avoiding this subject matter for quite a long time. Even when my friend would show me movies about it on YouTube, I would fall asleep, and I never fall asleep during the day. So anyway, I'm on this table, and he says, do not be afraid. And I was getting ready to be afraid, but it was just gone. And it wasn't because he had suggested it to me logically, you know, He had somehow controlled my nervous system. Then I was in my bed, and I was looking at this, it was like a holographic movie, on my wall in my room. And I couldn't move in my bed, and apparently I couldn't move on the table either. Then the picture turned to black and white. And then I was looking at myself on the table, and I could not see the grays. Automantis, unfortunately, and uh, it was me from my knees up to my neck, and I could see through my body. It was like it was X-ray, and uh, I saw them administer the anal probe. It went up about uh, eight inches a foot into my body, maybe more, and then I was wide awake, and it was weird. I felt fantastic. I knew I had been visited by the aliens. And I grabbed a piece of paper that I keep by my bed just for no particular reason, and I drew a picture of this tall, 
creature that I'd seen. And then I went to sleep, which was strange because it usually takes me an hour to go to sleep, maybe more. Um, I had had the head insomnia many, many times over my life for long periods of time. So I went to sleep and I woke up in the morning and at first I was really happy as I went, wow, they actually let me remember. Then I burst into tears and I'm going, and I, it's weird. I didn't feel happy. I didn't feel sad, but I'm laying here crying and I got in a fetal position and I cried. I cried for over an hour. And I, there weren't thoughts driving my my uh, tears. You know, I really wasn't having any thoughts except, why am I crying? Why am I crying? Why don't I stop? And uh finally got myself together, and the crying stopped. Later that day, I went and showed this, told my friend the entire story. Mm showed him this picture and I said now this is weird because I saw this and I've, I've never heard of this and he, he turns around this computer and he pulls up a page that he's recently viewed and there is a child's drawing of a mantis creature that looks almost exactly like mine so it was it was amazing to me that I knew about something that I didn't know existed so who, who, do you think, who do you think this character was, the, the, the kind of praying mantis-looking person? Who do you think that was? Well, I think he was the boss of right. these three grades. He was the one telling him what to do, probably psychically. He was definitely controlling me. Um, he was the one instigating it, and he was the one that had... Okay, now I just remembered something, too. His voice... When he said, do not be afraid, I'm going, I have heard that voice. And I had heard it in 1999 in another one of the strangest events that I've ever had. But I did not know it was driven by aliens when it happened. For three days, well, no, for about a month, I had been trying to find a way out of my body into the other side. I felt that there had to be a way you could die without dying. And one night I came home. It was about seven. I decided to meditate and carry on my experiment. And just before I climb into bed, this voice goes, you are going to be given the opportunity to die. And I go, what? Now, why would I? That is the weirdest thing I've ever thought. And, of course, somehow I got really stupid there because I was trying to die in a sense or trying to have an NDE or out-of-body experience, near-death experience, NDE. And so I meditated. Everything's fine. The next night, the same thing happened. The next night, the same thing happened. On the fourth night, I got into bed. I started meditating. All of a sudden, I couldn't feel my breathing, and I couldn't feel my heart. I couldn't feel anything. So I I forced myself to awaken just a little bit, and I could tell that my body was breathing on its own, and my heart was beating, even though it was slow. So I just sank down into this, and then everything started disappearing. And my all the complexes, all the 
negative things in my brain, uh, my ego, it, it started leaving. I felt it going away from me, but actually I think now because of another experience that I was leaving it. And I turned into this, there were no phosphines in my eyes. It was complete, solid black. And I felt like I was the size of a pencil lead. And then next to me, this bright light opened up, only it didn't affect me visually because I had no eyes. So I'm standing there and I go, wow, I think I could go into this. Mm. And I wonder what it is. Once again, uh, I must have gotten stupid because everybody knows what the lot is, but I didn't. But And plus, it was a weird situation. So, but I think I can go into it. It might be my higher self. But what if I can't get out? What if I'm dead? What if, what if I come out of this and I'm really sick? I'm 15 miles from town. I'm going to be able to get an ambulance out here. I'm not going to go. And this voice goes, huh, you wanted this, and now that I'm going to give it to you, you're not going to go. And and it sounded sort of sarcastic, actually. I can't catch the right tone of voice. Well, it laughed three times. On the first time, the wall of light turned into a sphere, a lot like a mirrored ball that's in a garden, only it wasn't yeah. reflecting anything. Then with the second laugh, it got smaller. With the third laugh, it disappeared, and I was wide awake. That was the same voice that talked to me in 2009, the mantis. And do you think this, um, I mean, obviously this mantis has, when was the last time you saw the mantis? Well, the last time I saw the mantis was in 2009. The beings that I saw in 2015 were totally different. Right. Okay, so, I mean, I, I'm so aware of, of time and that we're running out of time, um, Byron, and you, you will have noticed that I've hardly asked you any questions because your story is fascinating and I am just, you know, avidly listening to your experiences and your own journey and, and how you've had to make sense of what was happening to you and, and I'm listening in awe. Um, but I'm, I'm really aware of time and um, I'm just wondering whether or not for the purpose of our listeners, it would be useful for maybe for us to um, meet again and have another another interview because there's so many more questions we could ask of you. Yes, that would be great. And uh, my case has been investigated uh, by yeah. several different people. So and, and how is that? that too. Yeah, that would be amazing to talk about. So, um, but... I mean, obviously, people that are listening to this, they may well have had experiences that they cannot explain. They may well have heard some things that you have said that they've um, this kind of sparked a trigger or a memory or something for them. And, and you do support people, you said, that um, have yes. also been abducted. So where can people contact you, Byron, until we speak again? How can people get hold of you? And well, the, the best way would be to um, send me a PM on Facebook. Right. And I'm on Facebook as Byron Lacey, and give me a friend request uh, or yeah. not, either one. If they if they message me, I always look for my messages, and I discovered the other box about six months ago, so I check it now too. 
Because there were some that had been there for a year that I'd never seen, but luckily they weren't important. But um, (laughs) so Facebook is a good place to get a hold of me. Fantastic. I mean, I I can only apologize that we can't kind of fit everything into this show in one go. But your experiences span decades. And I think that we'd really love to hear more about, um, you know, obviously your coping mechanisms and some of the other um, investigative um, routes that have been taken to um, understand what's happened to you. So if you if you really you know wouldn't mind coming back on the show, I'd be absolutely honoured to, to interview you. I love to talk about this stuff. I've had to be quiet for so long. Uh, after 2009, I just quit talking about it because I knew everybody would think I was nuts. So this has been talking to people about it is a very freeing and liberating experience to me. Fantastic. Well, thank you once again, Byron, for what has been an amazing hour interview and um, cannot wait to talk to you again. Um, Take care until we next speak. And obviously, people will add you on Facebook. um, And I I certainly will be sending you a message. So, um, you know, keep in touch. Thank you so much. Thank you. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.